Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, so, you know, we're in this series called If Not Now, and uh, as typical in a series uh, here at Hillside, it, it really moves slow. <laughs> Because I just can't help but beat a dead horse. So uh, there's a few things I just got to deal with, got to get out of my system before we get into some of the things that I think you might initially really want to talk about. We're going to get to them, but I I need to wade through some stuff, okay, just just processing with you before we get to them. Here's another book. This is for the gluttons. I mean, if you're a glutton for punishment, you just love to read, and you'll. this is a heavy read, but it is an excellent read. Uh, It's called We Have Met the Enemy, Self-Control in an Age of Excess. And and it's incredible. The beginning of the book uh, starts with uh, this quote right here by J.M. Barry. The life of every man is a diary in which he intends to write one story and writes another. This is sort of the idea and the picture that every one of us have because all of us sort of walk around with an imaginary picture of ourselves. We, we, we know the person we really want to be. But the life we live every day when we wake up, by the end of the day, we're not living the life that's going to get us there. And so you have one story in your head you wish you were writing and you're writing a completely different story. And that, over time, puts a sort of fracture in you, and it causes a lot of anxiety, frustration, and misery because we're not closing that gap by the way we live our lives. Uh, I was reading an article on this this week about how to make adjustments to your life as you go. And that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to make adjustments to your life as you go. Uh, so they gave the illustration you've heard before about a pilot. You know, if you take off, this pilot talks about, you know, for every degree you fly off course, you'll miss your target by, by 92 feet per mile for every degree you're off. Uh, so that's one mile every, every 60 miles. One mile off every 60 miles. So the longer you go, obviously, the farther off you'll be. So if you leave JFK and you're heading to LAX, and you're one degree off, you land about 40 miles into the ocean. That's a problem, all right, at the end. At the end, it's a big deal. It's not while you're flying. And at 30,000 feet, it's maybe, I'm not a pilot, but maybe it's not that easy to know you're one degree off. But that's how it is in life, too. You don't know you're one degree off. And it's the end that just sort of hits you really hard. So... um, I want to say a couple things, and then this is sort of a, 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 an interlude, I would call this, We're grappling with a few things. I was working on the talk that I'm going to give to you next week, all week, until something happened this week, made me want to talk about this. It's sort of a pull some things together here at the beginning. Um, and here's a few things I want to say. You probably feel a little off right now. You probably look at your life and you're feeling the strain and the stress of the fact that you're a little off in some places and you know you're off in some places. 
And that feeling is a horrible feeling, but I just want to tell you, this is what the article was about, was if you're in the air and you're one degree off, figure out how you can make a, you know, mid-course adjustments to your life. That's what we're talking about. So I, want you, I don't want you to imagine that everyone in this room or anyone in this room is flying perfectly right now. Because it'll make you feel bad and you'll feel like you're way behind and you can't get started. Listen, it's a fight all the time. You're never not going to go off course. You're going to go off course. And you're just always making mid-flight adjustments. As soon as you fix that one, you got to fix that one. You ever play, you ever play whack-a-mole? Uh, I think we have a picture of a guy playing whack-a-mole because this is what life looks like. Those little moles pop up at different places and you got to hit them on the head. And that's pretty much the posture of living. As soon as you smack that one down, this one pops up. And as soon as you smack that one, this one pops up. You just get your kids that looks feels like, I think they're going to be fine. Then you come over here to something else and you deal with that one. And then all of a sudden your kid does something. You go, ah. And, you, and it just, it's back and forth. And so listen, you're never just cruising beautifully. And everything's going well. You're fighting for it. You're fighting to get back on course. Don't think everyone's not working hard to get on course. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. Your life doesn't have to look like somebody else's. When I first started getting, you know, trying to figure out my own life, it's very natural to learn from people and mimic them. There's good wisdom in that. But as you get moving on your own, you start to realize my life doesn't have to look like his. I don't know about you, I'm not a morning person. For the longest time, I thought that 5 a.m. was the most spiritual time of the day. I forced myself to do quiet times at 5 a.m. Because I was mimicking someone. Well, I'm not a morning person. It doesn't mean I can't have quiet times. Don't spiritualize 5 a.m. Who are you? (laughs) That's right. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't exist, 5 (laughs) a.m. But some of you, you're up at 4.30. You can't even help it. I got friends who are up at 4.30 and by 7.30 are sweating already. Like, how? I don't want to be that guy. That's not me. And if I try to be that guy, I'm going to make myself miserable. So don't try to... You know, mimic people to a certain degree to get some traction and then figure out who you are. But don't try to copy other people's lives. You mimic them to the degree it gets you going. And then you, uh, you know, Gail and I are two different lives. Gail lives lives frantic. Gail lives like this. (laughs) And I live like, what's going on? What's happening? Who did that? When did you hear that? That's my life. But I got to tell you, the thing about my wife, that, you know, we're too different. So because it's different, you know, it, you, it can clash every now and then. We're completely different. I'm trying to slow her down. She's trying to speed me up. That's our lives. And she's living on the edges. I got to pull her off the edge every once in a while. But here's the thing about her life that's really interesting to me. She gets her quiet times in. She's crazy to the edge. She gets her quiet times in. She gets her stuff done. She, it, it doesn't matter if she's exhausted. She's going to get done the things that matter the most. And you can do that. If that's the way you live and it's who you are, like I couldn't live that way, but is one more spiritual than the other? No. You can be Martha-ish, but you better have Mary time. 
That's all I'm trying to say. So um, what I'm just greatly concerned about is that I, the last thing I want you to do is pretend you got it all together. This is, the, this is the perfect place to pretend. As far as I'm concerned, where I sit here, you have all the money you need. You have your kids are perfect. Uh, your marriages are perfect. Uh, your financial situation, you started long ago and you're perfect. That's what it looks like from here. None of us have it all. None of us have it all together. So you don't want to pretend. So, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you at the beginning of this series to fight for what matters most because that's what you have to do. You got to fight for it, number one. And number two, so at the beginning of this, we're focusing on spiritual things because they're the things that matter most. I just have to start there. Um, it, they're the most important things. If you do nothing else, you need to make sure you do the things that we're talking about last week, this week, and next week. After that, we'll, 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 we'll dance and play around, but these three things have got to be in there. And if you get them right, as C.S. Lewis says, if you get these right, C.S. Lewis says, the secondary things will fall into place. They have a lot better chance of getting put in place. You don't want them to be ultimate because then you lose out at the end. So it's just that whole game. So Wednesday night, I'm talking to the elders. We're sharing about these kind of things. We had a quiet time and, or, you know, sort of a devotional time together. And then uh, it led into, you know, more conversation. And I shared with them uh, what I think are three critical things to the spiritual life, the, the life we ought to be experiencing. Uh, and talked about one last week specifically, talked about one, uh, I'm going to talk about one next week, the one I was going to talk about, but today I want you to see all three of them sorted together. So I'm going to put three together today real quick, just uh, because I think they're the most important, and I think they shape the rest of your life. Like if you're messed up in one area, your marriage is messed up, your money's messed up, this is messed up, these three are the ones that help keep you together and give you the best shot at the other things. And at the end of the day, if the other things weren't going great, but these things were going great, that's your best start. So that's what I want to talk to you about. And, and I'm going to do it in another story, a story we've talked about before, but I, it's, it's just where it drives it home. And it's the story uh, in John chapter 21 when Jesus, after, resur after being resurrected, meets with his disciples, but especially Peter, because Peter's the perfect person. Peter is just like us. His life is messed up. He made some bad choices. And he's feeling like you and I feel, far off the mark. And, you know, what do you do when you feel off the mark like that? I mean, and you just, all he says, you know, what? remember what he says? I'm just going to go fishing. I denied Christ three times. I was so confident. I, I was so confident. I literally said to, to, to him, to his face, in front of my best friends, they might be. They might abandon you, but I never will. And what did I do? Three times in the span of minutes to lowly servants, even a few girls challenged my faith. And I denied them. And then you know, there's that moment where he hears, you know, the, the rooster crow, and then he 
sees Jesus and is just devastated. And I know that feeling. It, pardon me, it sucks. Feel that feeling. And so he goes fishing. He takes seven of his buddies with him and they're fishing. And he's, you know, he's Charlie Sheen. Told you that before. He just, Charlie Sheen. He thinks he's winning. He thinks he's got it all. He's, he's self-deluded, prideful, all those things. And now, he, you know, he realizes he's not winning. So what happens? They're fishing that night. And, um, and, he's, and he comes onto the shore. It's really early in the morning. I don't know, probably not hardly the sun even up yet. And he says to them, he calls out to the sea while out there struggling, catching nothing. Remember, the narrative is, is, is the point. There's, there's nothing good coming of this. Hear that. There's nothing good coming of all the energy I'm expending. I'm trying to get my mind off the fact that I'm in a mess. I'm doing what I love to do, doing what I know how to do, and it's, it's not working. Jesus just shows up to the, very, very secretly sort of shows up to the shore, and he calls out to them. He says, you're not catching anything, are you? And that, what a great line, and it's so true. He just calls us out on the fact that it's not working. And he tells them, hey, put your net out on the other side. You'll find some. So they throw their net out there and they get this big number of fish. And all of a sudden you realize, all of a sudden you realize, no matter what I'm doing, no matter how many things I thought were important, I'm doing the things I think I love and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the things that are helping me get my mind off the things I'm not doing. And, uh, and, but all of it really at the end of the day is not giving me any traction. I'm going to land in the ocean somewhere when this thing's over, but it feels good now. And Jesus shows up right in the middle of that and offers something to you supernatural that you can't create yourself. doesn't matter how much energy or work or guilt or anxiety or anything you feel. Jesus offers something supernatural, which we need desperately. And so uh, he sort of speaks into your nothing. That's what I loved about the line. Just speaks into your nothing. Now, so what does Peter do? Well, here's what happens. I mean, John immediately recognizes that's, that's the Lord up there. That's the Lord on the shore. So Peter then hears, he tucks in his outer garment, and I love this line, plunged into the sea. And I can imagine Peter realizes it, and all of a sudden in that moment, everything Peter was feeling, there's an opportunity, there's an opportunity now to go from nothing to something amazing. And it's going to be really humbling. You know, wrap yourself up, jump into the sea. Now he's Forrest Gump. You know, he sees Lieutenant Dan on the shore, and he just leaves the boat and leaves everything. He left the boat, left everything, just jumps in the water and heads to the shore. And you're like, for the first time, Peter, your impetuousness makes sense. Get out of that nothing and head to him as fast as you can. And so the rest of the guys, you know, sort of left dragging the boat to shore. And Peter's heading in. And when they get in, some amazing things happen. And I want to give you the three things that are happening in this text that got to be true about our lives. All right? Uh, so, so I'm going to start later in the text because something happens in the order of this. When they had finished breakfast... 
So just assume they had breakfast. We're skipping that part for a minute. Jesus pulls Peter alone, pulls him aside alone. And you remember, three times he's going to ask him, do you love me more than these do? And here's the key phrase, more than these. Remember, you said you loved me more than them a while back, and you said they'd leave me, but you wouldn't. Peter, do you love me more than them or not? And this is sort of a trap question, because if Peter answers yes, then he's going to look like he's competing with them still. But if he answers no, then it's going to be like, well, I guess I don't love him. So here's how Peter answers the question. You can tell Peter is is a different man. Yes, Lord, you you know I love you. This is just between you and me. I'm not even thinking about those guys anymore. I used to do that. I used to think I was better than them, and I used to think that, you know, I could do things, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and I realize now I can't do it. And right now it's just really all that I care about is what you know. I mean, Jesus asked him three times because he denied him three times. So Peter's reliving his failure. But in reliving his failure, he's being reprogrammed. He's, his whole psychological framework is changing to the, to the degree that he's taking his mind off himself, which is why Peter's never going to self-help himself out of this. Okay, the boat and, and hanging out in it and, and, you know, he could have gone to Barnes and Noble and found a self-help book on what do you do if you deny your friend. Could have done that. But instead, he comes right to Jesus. He says, what you know. And, and it's intimate and personal. Because that's what Jesus wants first. That's what we spent the whole time on last week. And the first thing I'm going to tell you that you've got to have in your life is you can't have a secondhand relationship to God. You can't be having a relationship with God that you live through other, other people. I'm talking about you got to get with him. You got to see his beauty. You got to love him. You got to let him melt your heart with his words. You got to fall in love with him because that at the end of the day is what's going to make everything else in your life the way it ought to be. Not about you. You know, Lord, you and me, we talked. I've seen it. You've said to me, I felt it. That dynamic's got to be occurring in your life. And if it's not, you have made some sort of spiritual life dependent on other people. You'll fracture and crack and fall apart when things get rough. And so he's going to say it a couple times. You notice. Do you love me? He's going to say it a couple times, and he's going to say, look, again, you know I love you. And then he's even going to say one more time. This is all I'm focusing on here. Peter was a little bit distressed because he asked him the third time, do you love me? But here's what he says this time. You know what? You know everything. You know what? I'm done trying to figure it out myself. Let me ask you this about Jesus. Do you think Jesus knows everything? Or do you only think he knows some things? Because right now you're probably only counting on him for some things, but not everything. See, this is that personal private time where you're going, Lord, I know I need you for everything, not just some things in my life. You've got to dictate everything. So this is that time where I'm alone with God and he knows me and he accepts me. He sees me as the failure. He sees my failures, but he still knows me and he still loves me. And that motivates me to want to love him and be what he wants me to be. That dynamic has to be happening in your life. We spent all week, last week, that's as much as I can say on the topic for now. He dictates everything. That means if you're reading your Bible through, I love the fact that you're reading through your Bible through the year. That's great. That's not what I'm talking about. 
You're reading your Bible, hopefully you get through it. And I've had somebody say to me recently, I think I'm going to finish in a year and a half my reading through the Bible in a year. I think I'm going to get it done. Big deal. Who cares? This is what I'm talking about. I read this text, and when I read it, it melted me. It melted me to the degree that I can't think the way I'm thinking anymore, and I can't act the way I'm acting anymore. I'm done with it. That's what I'm talking about. That dynamic has to be in there. I love him so much that I'm going to do this thing, and I know it's not going to be easy. That moment has to be happening in your life where your trust grows for him and you feel his love and you want him to be dominant in your life and you tell him he knows everything. That's what I'm talking about. That discipline. All right, so that has to be in your life. Second thing, we talked about that last week forever. Second thing in your life is notice what he says to him all three of these times. He says, feed my lambs. He's gonna give Peter a mission. He's going to give Peter a mission. Peter, you love me? That's great. But it can't stay just between you and me. you got to have something you're about. You need to advance my kingdom and my causes. I didn't come here for nothing. I've recruited you to be a part of something bigger, and I need you in on it. Now, this is the main thing I'm saying today. The third one's going to be short like the first one because next week I'm going to deal with the third one. This is the main one that I want to talk to you about. Because I think every single person in this room needs a kingdom calling and a kingdom purpose. Something they wake up for to do, to make sure happens in God's kingdom, no matter what else they're doing. Do you have that? I'm talking, you are committed to investing and seeing God's kingdom further in your little world. Doesn't matter what it is. And here's what Jesus is going to tell Peter. Peter, if you want to feed my lambs, you want to, you want to invest in people, okay. I'm going to tell you the truth. When you were young, you know, you tied your clothes around you and you went wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you to where you do not want to go. What's he saying? You will go from sort of an immaturity to a maturity. And you know what maturity, you know what the maturity really is? It's basically saying, I realize my life is not mine. It's it's his. And that's exactly what he says. Why did, why did John write that? To indicate clearly by what kind of death he would die. Peter, if you're going to invest in this kingdom, if you're going to have a kingdom focus, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a little bit. We're going to have this personal relationship. I'm going to call you to something bigger. It's going to hurt. You're going to die a little. The life you thought you, you, you needed, the life you hoped for, this life and this world's going to, you're going to die through it a little bit. Because that's, that's what living like the kingdom, that's what living for the kingdom feels like. It feels like you're dying a little bit. Maybe, ultimately. But because Jesus has ripped the lid off reality, he's talking to a resurrected guy. He's talking about a guy who made fish without fish. Anybody ever make fish for you that didn't have fish? Either this is the kind of guy I want to hear. This is the kind of guy that's opened up a reality I can't even imagine. If he calls me into it, I want to get into it. That must be more real than this one. 
That's what's going on, and so I got to focus on it. You say, what does that mean? Well, here's, I've always tried to figure out how would I ever say that to somebody and, and, and explain to them what it means, because you're probably sitting out there and go, well, I don't know, I, I, I'm a, I, I work over here, and I have this family, and I got this, and I'm doing this. How do I have a kingdom calling? I understand, so let me talk about that. Number one, there's two things that I want to tell you about a kingdom focus. Number one, here's the first one. Everything I do is subjected to a higher purpose. It doesn't matter what I do. I don't care if it's a hobby. I don't care if it's your, uh, your, the, your dream job. I have a higher purpose in doing it. It's never alone in itself enough. That means I'm always treating people the way I ought to treat them in business and in life and in relationships. I have goals, but they're kingdom-oriented. I'm honest and I operate with integrity. I will take losses to do the right thing. The right thing, the kingdom thing, is the thing I'm going to do no matter what other thing I'm doing. Does that make sense? That's what I'm talking about. That's the kingdom focus. I'm never just going to work. I'm never just going to play. Never. You've got to have a bigger, higher purpose. So here's, here's, I'm going to give you, for each of these, I'm going to give you a funeral. Okay? So I've thought about my funeral because I do lots of them, and I've seen so many, and I'm going to tell you there, uh, there's nothing like, there's nothing better in the world to educate you than to, to be at a bunch of funerals. And here's the funeral. I can tell you the first kind of one I don't want. A uh, fella was at this church. This is about three years ago I did this funeral for this fella. Used to attend Hillside. Served here. I saw him regularly. But got, got, ended up going somewhere else, doing something else. I didn't hear from him in years and uh, get a call one day. He's dying of cancer. I go over to his house. We talk. He's, you can tell he's heartbroken. He's at the end. And some things were coming together in his head and he wanted to apologize and he wanted to say things. And so he did and we had a great time. He dies and they asked me to do the funeral. So I get to the funeral and I, I get the eulogy that the, I guess the wife wrote and I put it here. This is his second wife. She's, right, she's given me that. So I'm reading that and then I add to it what I knew of him the years he was here. Didn't know him personally, didn't know anything about his life. But, we, but I ran into him, we talked, he was faithful here, and I talked about it. His wife said some things about him in the deal. I read it, and as soon as I was done, his son got up. Only the immediate family were there, and maybe 20 other people. Small. Many of those people was from his, were from his work. Get up there, and I say these things, and then... His son comes up right after me, right at my heels, gets to the podium like this, and he goes, I think we all know in this room that my father was an ASS. Now, I'm sitting right there, and I go. And this is what, this is what it hit me. Now, I'm not going to go into all of it. All I'm going to do is tell you this. Here's the last thing I want done at my funeral that the people who know me best think of me different than the people who don't know me that well. That's the last thing I want. I'd rather my son get up there and say, Dad was pretty predictable. 
whether he was in the house or whether he was at work or whether he was at the restaurant or whether he was at church or whether he was, he was pretty predictable, Dad. He wasn't two people. That's the first one. Everything I do has a higher purpose and it's clear in everything, whether I'm sitting at home or whether I'm doing, there's a higher purpose. Something higher than anything I'm doing on this planet at all times. I'm going to operate with integrity to the people I know well and the people I don't know well so that my private and public life come together in a way where they're not so fragmented that I don't know who I am anymore. I got to be this for you and this for you. Don't want that. I don't want it said at my funeral. Second thing. I am more interested in building God's kingdom than mine. You've got to find a way to be investing in God's kingdom. And I know all of us are busy. We've got stuff to do. We're all doing things. And that's okay. I want to talk about that. So I want to be about advancing his causes. He's calling me to something. So that means I'm going to to be helping people come to know Christ wherever I'm at. By the way I live and the words that I speak. I'm going to be helping them be introduced to Jesus. In my private life and and even in thinking about missions a little bit. I'm going to support his church because he said he loves it. This is where his people gather. This is where resources are given to do his kingdom work. Great kingdom things happen in the community that you're a part of. And so you ought to serve it. You ought to own something in it specifically. It could be something specific. We have some people in here who are absolutely committed to our gems ministry. They get up for it. When they think about Sunday morning, they don't think about hearing a sermon. They don't even think about singing. They think, I have got to be there because there's families walking in who have children who are disabled. And I want to invest in those kids. I want to love those kids for those parents. And I want those parents to feel the freedom to worship. That's why I'm there. That's my kingdom calling. That's what I'm talking about. I don't care how small it is, specific it is, or what it is. You need one of those things in your world. Do not tell me you come to church and that's your kingdom advancement. That's not it. Okay? I need to take a breath. I'm a little excited. I sense you're a little tense. And I need to chill out right here for just a second. We all probably need to go, okay, I get it. All right, I am preaching a little bit more today. If you're a guest, uh, come back next week. <laughs> uh, but it's so important, and I've, I've tried to get this out. So here's the other thing I don't want said at my funeral. Here's the other thing I don't want at my funeral. And, I, and, and this, is, this is 99% of the funerals I do. 99% of the funerals is he loved his dogs. He loved to travel. Look at the pictures. Uh, he loved adventure. And you got a picture of this guy doing crazy stuff. He loved to collect. He loved his job. He loved the outdoors. I've heard every single thing. God help me. You know, if, if my... 
if, my, if I were to die tomorrow, my kids would probably tell you, my wife would probably tell you that Pete likes to work out. That would be one of the things on my like list. I don't want it said. What I'd really rather have said is that any of these things that I enjoy doing are a platform for me to accomplish something for God. Talk about that part of it, not this part. Of it. I, have, I have friends coming here from CrossFit. That's more important than doing CrossFit. Sharing Christ with them and being Christ when I'm with them is more important than CrossFit. Please don't at my funeral talk about CrossFit. Talk about the people that were in there and the people that are impacting the people that are coming to Hillside because Pete did CrossFit. But don't talk about CrossFit. Don't talk about how much I loved my job unless it led to people seeing Christ. That's what I want talked about. Nothing came before the kingdom. Say anything you want about dad. Nothing came before the kingdom. He served it tirelessly, gave generously, and shared Christ. Whatever he was doing, it didn't matter. And this is what I'm asking you to say in your life. I want you to be able to say this in your life. You find the thing, anything, that you live for the kingdom. In other words, <laughs> dad didn't have a whole lot of money. But there was one thing dad was going to spend money on. And it was this kingdom project. What's yours? I'm talking about, you know, when you don't have money and you got to really decide what you're putting money in because you don't have a whole lot right now or because something happened and you don't have a whole lot. You say, yeah, that's me. I don't have a whole lot. So I'm not going to be able to do blank. But God help me if I'm not going to give to that. No, that's going to happen. That's a kingdom focus. And if the kingdom is the first thing you pull away, you're not willing to die a little bit. You're not dying daily. The kingdom isn't your primary focus. Don't lie to yourself and say it is. What am I going to give to? What is some of my money going to come? Hell or high water, where's some of my money going to? That's a kingdom focus. How about this one? If there's one thing I wake up for, oh, I'm exhausted. I know there's some of you guys who work so hard, I can't even imagine how in the world you pull life off. You're trying to manage family. You're trying to do this. But if there's one thing I'm going to do, even if I'm exhausted, it's what? Be there at the gyms Sunday morning. I don't care what it is. Whatever it is, you'll do it exhausted because it's your primary thing and you're not letting anything get in the way. Not even tired. How many things do you do tired? Lift your hands if you ever do anything tired. <laughs> I feel like on any given moment, like right now, I could just fall asleep right here. At least, no matter how tired I am during the week, how many hours I had to put toward that, dee -dee 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 -dee. I'm not going to be too tired to do X for God this week. That's what I'm talking about. What's your thing? What's the one thing that's getting your time that's kingdom-oriented? The one thing you give extra credit, extra effort to it. Yeah, well, you know, dad was exhausted, but he definitely would do that. He never stopped doing that. He always tinkered in the garage, no matter how tired he was. Is that what you want said? He'd spend hours out in that garage. Is that what you want said? 
please, God, don't say that at my funeral. Dad could be exhausted, but dad was going to blank. What was, what's yours? Here's, the th- here's, here's what I wrote down. You got to do a lot of things. I know every one of us are doing a lot of things all week. But what's the one kingdom thing you're going to do come hell or high water? That's what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, some of us got really weird jobs. We travel a lot. We do this. We have kids. Some of us are stay-at-home moms, and you're focused on your kids, and that's great. There's stay-at-home moms who, even though they're stay-at-home moms, they have a little project they do for the children's ministry to make sure that the kids have it. All kids have it when they get. That's their kingdom investment. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're a student. Hey, I just launched a new business, and I'm really overwhelmed. I don't care. We're all overwhelmed, and we all have something to do. I'm just telling you, what's your kingdom thing? That's what I'm describing. That you, it's going to happen. I don't care what it is. You might have something specific, or it might just be general. But come hell or high water, you do it, and at your funeral, that's what we'll talk about. And finally, how, am, I, am I over time, Cody? Yeah, I lied to you. I told you I'd be done. All right, let me just do this. Hey, get them ready. Here's the last thing I want to say to you. Uh, So the last thing that happens, because we're going to talk about this mostly next week. All I want to do is say this to you. Uh, So before that, so Jesus pulls them aside. We need to to have a private relationship, and you need to have a mission. And the third thing is... uh, when When they get on the beach, he sees the charcoal fire. So here they are placed. They have this... Uh, meeting here, and it's, it's all of them now. All they're just sitting around a fire. It's, it's a picture of community. It's a supernatural provision because he gives them food, brings some of the fish you just caught. Um, Peter pulls the net ashore. He goes to help them. They get the fish. Uh, come have breakfast, Jesus says. None of the disciples wanted to ask him who he was because they knew, they knew who it was, but he's a different guy. He's a resurrected person, and they know this guy is a different guy, and because of who he is, because he's different, there's no way we can sit around with each other and imagine that our lives can be the same, but we need each other to make sure we do it. This is the community element. You've got to have community in your life. You'll never do all those other things by yourself. You've got to have spiritually meaningful relationships in your life. I know you have good friends. You may have great close family relationships. I'm saying you need spiritually meaningful relationships in your life with people who know you, love you, accept you, are honest with you, tell you when you're off the mark and people you can tell when you're off the mark all those things they've got to be operating in your life and by the way this happens first all seven of them are nuts if you read the seven who are there you're like this is a ragtag group because in community that's what we all are we're just we're just a group of people all right this is how i worded it no i'll be quiet because i'll focus on this one next week All seven of us here in this room right now, in this meeting, in this relationship, maybe just two of us, four of us, we all need work, but we're all very clear that following the risen Savior is the only and most important thing to do in our lives, and we're going to do it together because we can't do it alone. Because I can't know myself or my God without you. We've talked about this. I can't really know him, and I can't really know myself if I'm not in a group of people who spiritually care about the same things I care about. So do you have that in your life? 
whether it's with one person or ten, do you have it? Now, um, we're going to talk more about that because there's a whole lot more here. But um, that's, that's what I need in my life. So if you say, so I'm, gonna, I'm about to offer something to you uh, guys in this room. Uh, if you would say right now, um, let's, Cody, why don't, you, why don't you get this thing going? This is what I'm going to say. I'm going to ask you to take the plunge. Peter, Peter wrapped that skirt around him in the, in the midst of his mess, and he jumped into the sea. So if you're a man right now, I'm just going to offer this to you. Uh, if, if this is true about you, this is true about you. I don't eat right or exercise. I don't seem to be able to gain too much traction as a husband. I rarely have a quiet time. When I do, I don't get anything out of it. I don't give intentionally or consistently. I don't have a, I don't have spiritually meaningful relationship with my guy, with, with, with a bunch of guys. So here's the thing I'm offering to you. Between February, the beginning of February, February, I think it's, I think we have a, a slide on it. Yeah. Every first and third Wednesday at 7.30, if you'll come to my office starting February 6th through June 5th, I can only have five or seven of you. But any one of you who say at least four of those things are true of me. In other words, I probably don't know you. So if you're already in a group, you can't be in this. I'm looking for a bunch of guys who just say, that's me. I'm not connected to anybody. But those things are true about me. And if you're interested, email me. Prove to me that at least four of those are wrong in your life. These four things aren't working. So if that's true, I'm offering it to you. Wednesday night, 7.30, starting uh, February 6th. But I need an email from you saying, yeah, I'm that guy. I'd like to be there. I can only have five to seven, so if there's more than that, uh, we'll do it the next semester. Dave's also offering a group right now for 18 to 25-year-olds. You're a guy, 18 to 25, and you'd like somebody to help you on Wednesday nights, Dave's doing something for that group. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.